0: Podcast episode one hundred and three. This is UX Podcast. I'm James Roy Lawson and I'm Pad Axbom, and we're balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden.
1: And we're doing a link show. Yay. I like these. Uh, We kind of surprise each other with uh, uh, articles that we want to read and and discuss. Mm.
0: And hopefully we create discussion points, or at least thinking points, uh, amongst you, the listeners.
1: Yes. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) If not, we're just two
0: guys (laughs) babbling in in a studio.
1: Well, that's true as well. Many many things can be true at
0: once. (laughs) The three... Well, how this works, Mm -hmm. if you haven't um, um, listened to one of these link shows before, is that Per and I, during our immense travels around the digital world, um, roll around and and pick up articles like a snowball travelling down a mountain. And we pick out a couple of these to discuss on the show. Usually quite recent
1: ones, like they've been published over the last couple of weeks. Often it is. Usually.
0: Sometimes we we pick up... um, Mm. Well. Things have bubbled up that are older, mm. but yes, they're reasonably recent ones. And the three articles um, that we've got coming up for you today um, are Designing with Analytics by Pamela Pavlishak, mm-hmm. And um, Pamela is um, Pam in the Lab on Twitter, and we interviewed her um, not so long ago um, in episode 98 when we uh, were at From Business to Buttons.
1: Oh, Yeah. Cool. The, we uh, interviewed her about something completely different.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> we, um, we did. Um, second article will be What is Zero UI? Mm-hmm. by Brown, um, John Brownlee.
1: Yeah, it's by John Brownlee, but it's uh, actually based on a talk by uh, Andy Goodman.
0: Mm. And third and finally, Fixing Six Mistakes Companies Make When Working With UX's mm. by Sarah Dewey.
1: And you pointed out it was Sarah Duty and we uh, actually had an article by her uh, on a previous show. On a previous link to, show, episode show.
0: 96, mm. we featured um, get better um, qualitative data on mm. your user experience with microfeedback. Mm. Um, yeah, and Sarah Doody is Sarah Duty on um, Twitter. I've realized now I didn't mention um, um, that um, uh, the author of um, your Zero, UX, zero UI, zero UI. Um, yeah. is Dr. Crypt
1: on Twitter. Okay, that's a cool name. <laughs> Doctor
0: Crypt, yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, he's mm. an kind of evil superhero, supervillain kind of thing. Which or is even cool. cooler. <laughs> You're right, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. an evil <laughs> Dr. an evil um,
1: supervillain. Sounds uh, like something from UX the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's jump into analytics.
0: Yeah, um, designing of analytics. Yeah, uh, written by Pam in the lab. Um, when we uh, when we talked to Pam. Um, back in April, um, I hadn't really realized um, how much of an analytics person she was. I mean, okay, we, we talked about the, the research she'd done, the data she'd done to do with um, happiness. Mm. Um, but I actually thought more she was coming from the, the psychology side of things. Um, well, she was. Well, you know, she <laughs> was <Yeah. laughs> in our chats. Um, yeah. But but um, looking at it now, she's, um, she's actually got a column um, on UX Matters um called um data informed design mm. which looking back now I've actually read this column you know, uh, there's, there's not that many articles in it but there's been a few yeah. articles over the last year year and a half um and I've read these and and probably shared them uh, on social media but I hadn't completely twigged um who was behind them who mm-hmm. was the pen who was the hand holding the pen
1: but it also goes to show because we talk a lot about designers going either way now they go towards data or they go towards behavior and psychology but Pamela is a blend of both, mm. and I think uh, if you start reading her and following her, you'll realize the many, many benefits of that.
0: Mm. We've got the whole thing about data scientists as well now, but, but uh, we can't really go too deeply mm. into data scientists. But um, w- one reason why I picked out this to talk about um, is partly because in our previous show, um, we talked to Mike Beasley. Yes. About um, uh, using analytics um, to help design the user experience, and Mike in that interview, basically he he tried to you know, drum up our enthusiasm and, and trying to get us to dive into analytics. I mean, mm. didn't need to convince me, but um, <laughs> but but generally, because there's mm. not enough UXs that do dabble in data. Um, and this in this article by Pamela, she actually goes all pr- practical on this, yes, she goes in and um gives us some some hands on tips um, do this to get started um, and um after she's giving you some tips about um how to get an, an overview and how to get a feeling for um for for analytics in particular google analytics um she goes on to offer some some questions about. Uh, it goes off some questions that you can actually start to get some answers or start to think about answers for. It's like, what do people expect? Um, does your expected mm-hmm. um, customer journey um, or your your funnel does it hold up mm-hmm. now when you're you're looking at the the data? And I think it's um it's a useful entry level. Thing.
1: It is. It tells you go in here, click on that, and uh, this is what you see. And uh, it's it's really practical in the sense that it's it doesn't it's not hard to get going. And I think that's what people sort of want when they here they, they realize that listening to mike beasley yes this is important but how do i really get on with it this is a perfect article for that yeah uh, get jump right in if i could do it all again
0: no if <laughs> i could um if i could make some some alterations to, to pamela's article Ooh. Well, it's, it's, it's 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 constructive mm. um then then i'd have actually pushed more um, i'd have pushed up front um segmentation more Mm-hmm. Because I think I mentioned this with the interview during the interview with Mike that um, uh, analytics now without segmentation is dangerous. You can you can get completely the wrong picture unless you segment. And if, if you don't really know what I mean by segmentation, I mean I mean splitting the data into smaller sets so you get a more honest picture of what's happening.
1: And what would be an example of a well, segment?
0: This is what I would do in this in of level article. Mm. I wouldn't go into explaining how you go about segmentation. Pamela does actually do it later on. She actually says how you can create a segmentation um, and to do with demographics and other kind of things there. But I would, I would in the beginning point out that it's important that you do always segment. And I'd say th- advice to those of you that maybe don't want to get too deeply in segmentation: do it by desktop and mobile
1: or mobile tablet.
0: But if, if nothing else, then segment according to those two. So, so th- it's a, a way device. of s- if
1: segmenting the users or visitors. Yeah into different groups. Yeah. And those could be, like you are saying now, mobile and desktop, but it could also be male, female. It could be anything. It, it,
0: it, absolutely. But how um, do you decide? Uh, that is a whole different show. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is why I'd say, at the moment, mm. where we are mm. today, um, f- as a general advice, because this article is, is an entry-level one with general advice. Exactly. So I'd, I'd, I'd plumb for um, the, the device split. Mm. So go for desktop and for mobile. The reason being is when I'm doing this kind of work... Mm. That's where I see one of the biggest contrasts. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, because your your tasks. So what you what you go about doing, mm. and what you try to do, um, even though you may do absolutely everything on desktop and absolutely everything on mobile, mm. um, the the details in in behavior and how you go about stuff, the context does vary a
1: lot between the platforms. Right, I find still. Um, okay, so that's a good pro tip then. Segment according to mobile desktop.
0: If you're going to do nothing else, and yeah. it will allow you to see the contrast. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, b- example there is I've got one client where um, uh, we don't see we don't see people signing up um, when they've come via mobile, mm. but we do see them signing up on desktop. Yeah. But you see them researching, um, so uh, having you know, more information to then decide to do it later because it's it's a complex, it's a more demanding sign up procedure, um, yeah, and the exactly. current situation doesn't isn't optimized for, des- for, for mobile devices. So, of course, it's going to be it's a bit natural. But if you look at the whole data set, you don't see this.
1: Mm.
0: You just see a lower conversion rate, effectively, or you just see more kind of a muddled yeah. behavior. Um, but if you split it up into two, it becomes quite clear that desktop users are the ones that bother to, to sign up. Yeah. Mobile users are the ones that... That's where the conversion happens. Yeah, but ah. there's a lot of but there's half of the visitors are mobile. So you, you've, you've got a segment. That's interesting.
1: I, I don't even do that. I mean, I, I'm not that into analytics as you are, but every time I set up a site and I forget to set up actually the Google Analytics link, I realize that, I'm, shit, I miss, I, I'm, I'm working blind here. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. So you need at, l- at least some data, and that's that's, why I, I, that's how far as I go. You need the data, so you need, but you also need to see, know, understand what you're seeing, and that's what you're saying. You need yeah. to understand what you're seeing, but it's easier to understand what you're seeing if you segment. Yeah,
0: you've, um, you've got to get in there, mm. um, and um and learn what it is you're presuming because <laughs> yeah. uh, you can presume an awful lot of analytics
1: being a uxer i always love to read the comments as well and i realized that someone commented and asked about well how how do i uh, what software was used to build that figure two which was used in the article which is all about behavior flows where you can actually see what mm. uh, what path people use as they c- progress from the page they land on when, when they come into your site, and what pages do they go to after that and after that. And where they drop off. It's a exactly. very, it's
0: a very mm. nice visual tool that Google have Google Analytics Exactly.
1: It's actually part of Google Analytics, mm. and people don't realize this. Mm. It, I mean, it's been around for three years uh, at least. Oh, it's probably about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not, it, was, it hasn't been around since Google Analytics started, but the once I discovered it as well, it was one of my favorite tools because it's extremely visual as well. Mm. Uh, so you can click around in there and, see, and check, click on one page and see, okay, so what are the pages that people most visit after this page, mm. uh, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, you can spend hours in there. Yeah. Uh, but do. it's always interesting <laughs> to see that people don't realize this is a free tool that you can use to get all this data and understand your users more. Mm. So there's no reason not to dive in. Zero UI. What is zero UI and why is it crucial to the future of design? And before anyone switches off because they say, well, there's no such thing as zero UI, everything has a user interface. No, it is is—it is, <laughs> obviously a provocation. It's a way to get people talking about it. Yeah. Um, it does admit that in the article as well, actually, yeah. that it's deliberately provocative. <laughs> uh, and I think you may have a sense of what, what we're getting at here, if, 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 even if you're not heard uh, of this phrase before zero UI. It's about... Eliminating eliminating as much as possible from the user's view so that they can get get on with their tasks. Uh, And the article is referencing a talk by Andy Goodman uh, at Fjord who who gave a talk at uh, the Solid Conference. Uh, But it's it's not really a new idea, and that's what it says here as well. Actually, I've talked about it before as well, and it actually goes way back, it goes 20 years back to something called Calm Technology, uh, where a guy called uh, Mark Weiser... Uh, uh, related to uh, Xerox Park, There they go again. They've been mm-hmm. involved in everything. Uh, they were talking about column Technology in an article called Designing Column Technology back in 1995. Uh, and the, the example that I actually want to read out loud because I love this example is he introduced the concept of Calm Technology by using an example of live wire or dangling string, which is actually a physical string. So it's an eight 8 foot string connected to the mounted small electric motor in the ceiling. And the motor is connected to a nearby ethernet cable. And when a bit of information flows through that ethernet cable, it causes a twitch of the motor. So the more the information is flowing through the ethernet cable, the, the motor runs faster. So the, the string is dangling or whirling Faster or slower, depending on how much data or network traffic is passing through the Ethernet cable. So it's a visualiza- visualization of network traffic, physical a physical string mm. hanging from the ceiling. Mm. I'd actually love to have one, one of those at home. Make one. <laughs> I <So>. should, actually. <laughs> that could be my, my summer project. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the phrase glanceability has been popularized over the past uh, few years as well uh, with all these uh, clocks or watches that we have on our wrists and and. and, and Fitness devices—you mm. you glance at stuff and you get information, enough information to get to get on with your task, and not having to deal with interfaces. Mm. But it's also a lot about if you have a user interface, think about what can you remove and still allow the user to complete their task.
0: And that, mm. I think that's an excellent point because mm. I mean I love the idea of decluttering mm. um, because it's, it's far too easy to to clutter an interface up, um, whether it's a physical product, or whether it's a, uh, a website or an yeah. app. Um, but one thing that worries me i suppose about um the zero ui um is if you really do have no interface like some of the internet of mm. things um products that um are shown in the in the article the yeah. like the nest i think they talk about or these things where it's it's a it's an object and maybe it has a light on it or something mm. and that's it mm. what it does is it, it forces into a place where we need to get things Perfect. There are no affordances anymore. If if it doesn't work to connect that to your wi fi or to whatever, how do you communicate to the user what to do now? How where's the dialogue? How 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 does that kind of teamwork play out between you and the device. Well, yeah, but how do you... There is an interface. There has to be some interface somewhere. Of course there has No, but No, but but sometimes there isn't. Mm. I mean, you've got... I've got certain products where you Mm. are completely stranded. If it doesn't work Mm. magically as they prescribe it does on the box, you're stuck. You're really stuck. Mm. Because you've ended up as an edge case. You've ended up as the one that doesn't quite have the normal configuration of stuff and something Mm. you've got maybe or some way you're set up behind the scenes, is mm. disturbing stuff, so it doesn't work magically. And so does cause it has problem. to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so, yeah, yeah, but it forces into the situation. Yeah. And that's what worries me a little yeah. bit, because I still think we're an awful long way away from being able to to guarantee mm. that something is going to just
1: work. Fair point. I actually have a network camera at home, and the way I set it up to my network is that I use an app on my phone to generate a QR code that the network camera uses to install itself.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was going to bring that up. Then <laughs> um, a lot of the time we, we've getting stuff um, like Chromecast. Mm. I think is even mentioned yeah. as a, as a or sometimes an item mm. with with zero UI because mm. um, it's just a little dongle you stick mm. in the back of your TV. Mm. Um, but that's another example of one mm. of the ones where it's got quite a rich UI but it's just been moved from being a physical interface on the device yep. to being an app you install mm-hmm. somewhere else which controls it. Sure. That we're seeing an awful lot with these things, like I presume Nest and some of these mm-hmm. other ones, Apple TV, all these ones. They're, they're zero UI mm-hmm. physical devices, but we've just shifted the UI into an app.
1: Yeah, but you only look at it when you need it. I mean, I think that's the point mm-hmm. that we're trying to make here is that... and, and One of the really interesting things about the article that really appealed to me was how he's talking about us not just being able to create easy-to-use interfaces, but the interfaces or the the applications have to learn for themselves. The point with the Nest being that it actually learns your behavior and actually can make some adjustments on its own. So there's artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. involved here, which means that we need data about what the user is doing, Mm -hmm. which actually connects back to the previous article we discussed. Mm -hmm. We need more and more data about the user's to actually make assumptions about what they're going to do next or help them along the way without them having to give us more input other than the input that they've given us in, in the history. Like if you and I, we record a podcast every other week. What if Google realized that these guys are recording a podcast every week together and they have a time slot for that? Let me try and find time slots in the future every other week for them based on the calendars that they already have. That's using artificial artificial intelligence, it and we don't really have to well, do anything.
0: Artificial intelligence, but it's mm. also it's it's actually I suppose um, I'm going to mm. say it's more correctly labelled as um, algorithm um, based experience. Yes. Um, but is that the same thing as removing a, U, a UI? Maybe the UI I think uh, we're muddling. I think, okay. we're muddling mm. I think we're muddling things up here, and I, mm. I, I think it's very exciting. Like this article mm. brings up Siri. Yeah. And I don't see that as a I don't I don't really get that as a zero UI thing.
1: There's still a user interface. It's just not yeah, click-based. It's, it's a voice-based yeah. User, yeah. Inter- user interface. Yeah.
0: Uh, but absolutely, mm. behind the curtain, yeah. you've got an algorithm-based um, service mm. that's feeding you answers mm. and, or, or doing things for you. Yeah. I think we're, I think we're mishing, mashing y- up You're together. automating, basically. Yeah. You're
1: automating tasks. Uh, Based on algorithms Almost like we data. talked about before with marketing automation. Mm-hmm. I talk to Siri once in a while, not often, the, m- the most often because I need to add something to my calendar. So add something tomorrow at 10 p.m. is yeah. what I say to Siri. And she adds it, and that saves me a bunch of clicks. Yeah. and But she, we've removed the interface of the calendar, but we've added the interface of Siri. So yeah. I, I get your point, mm. uh, but I think what we're trying to do uh, is, is. And then what you
0: said, what you said about mm. um, using data to mm. realise that we we usually did like Google mm. does it tells me that it's learnt that I normally go shopping on Saturday mornings yeah. to do our weekly grocery mm. shopping. So Google in the Now app, um, it says it gives me the estimated time it's going to take me to yeah. drive there on a Saturday morning. It doesn't display it the rest of the week because mm. they've learned that. Yeah. Uh, and, and yes, that's. That's, that, to me, isn't zero UI. That's, that's just good use of data and algorithms to provide me context-based
1: mm. um, experience, context-based information. Right. But again, zero zero UI mm. isn't the point. No, I as, know. As he's trying to make that point in the article as well. It's about peeling away mostly the visual UI, the or the actual time I have to put in inputting stuff into the interface, mm. moving around my finger or a mouse or a cursor mm. and typing stuff, mm. because the interface can solve it for me based on information it already has, which means that we as designers have to be better at using the data on hand about our users to make uh, presumptions about what they're going to do next, because that will help them not having to spend so much time on our application.
0: Mm. I, think, I think it also ties in um, to, in, in, in episode 90... We um, we discussed an article about design trends yeah. during 2014, and and uh, some of the points we talked about there were to do with um, um, moving the interface away from touchscreens. We we talked about gesture-based yes, interfaces right. yes. and, and so on. And I think there we're coming into mm. the, the evolution of, mm. of of UI. So rather mm-hmm. than zero UI, we're we're looking at um, how um, you can maybe you you swipe your fingers, mm. you touch your your hand. Um, yeah, in w- instead of um, right, no, wear- wearable or
1: computing or computing yeah. woven into your clothing yeah. is, is becoming more important, popular yeah. as well so yeah. yes it's just that the interface is moving to other parts of your body maybe <laughs> you have a chip in your finger or whatever yeah. or you blink you or something yes. yeah, Google glasses I mean you can yeah. control with your eyes your eye movement but mm. it is an important point in that sense because th- as designers or as user interface designers at least, you have to start thinking beyond the screen yes. as your interface. You have to start thinking about tactic uh, interfaces and mm. whatever, tactile interfaces. Tactile yeah. interfaces, yeah, yeah. touch-based.
0: Yeah. In, yeah. Absolutely, mm. thinking beyond the screen mm. and um, thinking about data, how you can utilize all the fantastic amount of data mm. and we've gone out there to improve the experience. Stop giving them an interface if you already know the answer. Yeah, mm. surface surface the 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 answers mm. if you especially if you already know
1: the question. <laughs> Love it. Okay, on uh, UX magazine, Sarah Doody's article is called "Fixing Six Mistakes Companies Make When Working with UXers." So this is one of those articles where you just yeah I I know that I feel feel that way sometimes as well, uh, but they're interesting points to actually go through there's just six of them Uh, some of them we may not agree with completely at least i'm like a parental warning you're am that that way there Uh (laughs) Uh, so so this will be interesting but number one is about making ux a priority and it's uh, the point being made here is that uh, okay so you're bringing uxers in your team but you're not Giving them the time they need to actually understand your organization or your business goals uh, for them to do be doing a good job. So, yeah, it's they, like they, about giving people enough time to actually understand the organization and and the goals you're trying to reach. Exactly. This is a, this is the client side view. It's yeah. like,
0: you know, don't don't yeah. expect to buy a box of UX. Yeah. Um, you've got to invest your own your own time into ensuring um, that that this relationship works. Um, I mean, both you and I are old enough wise mm-hmm. enough experienced enough to know that mm. um you can't just jump into an organization and deliver from the first second mm. you, you you have to have some kind of understanding of what's mm. going on um and 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 hand-holding right. support yeah. from the organization um because at times you can come up with the kind of world's greatest suggestion or or, or solution um but a critical element of of how the business operates maybe has just been skipped over a little too fast and you didn't realize that or understand it, didn't have any way of knowing it, Mm. Uh, an integration point or something which is crucial but was was, was skimmed over. Mm.
1: That's true. There may be stuff that as an organization you think, well, this isn't really important for the design work," so You don't actually tell it or you may actually avoid telling some stuff that you don't feel confident about telling. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you're a consultant uh, or you feel a bit ashamed about stuff that has gone wrong in the past like mm-hmm. we've been talking mm-hmm. about before with other people. It's like, just realizing that – but it goes both ways is what I'm seeing. Is as, a, as a UXer, as a mature UXer, you also have to say what you need to do a good job. You have to get in there. You have to schedule those meetings and make sure that you're not selling just a solution or a box, that you're selling your time to get to grips with what the real problem is.
0: Mm. Yeah. So be expected, mm. as, as a as a purchaser of UX, yeah. be expected to be
1: interviewed and, and, and listened to. Yes.
0: And make sure you share things
1: mm. with your UXer. So, and number two, gather the right stakeholders at the right time. Uh, this is from comes from experience with uh, being in meetings with thirty or forty people wanting to see the wireframes.
0: Oh, do you know what? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm I'm cringing already. Though mm-hmm. the 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 wireframe thing with this, I'm noticing I'm doing that more actually. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I've just hijacked. I've just jumped no, in. No, but, uh, a I like bit. that. I like that because I, I,
1: I, I'm I'm kind of same, the same way because I'm realizing uh, that wireframes are not maybe even something that's a deliverable.
0: <laughs> no, I mean I I've <sighs> one recent um, thing I've been working on the. Um, <laughs> We got wireframes as a deliverable I tried really hard to um I was in a position where I could influence the the design process and mm. I tried really hard to 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 go around wireframes and thought we can we can you know we don't need them um but um they came and then we had the situation where we were showing these wireframes against my advice to mm. lots of people and people <laughs> had no idea there were wireframes people don't understand mm. their wireframes yeah. so you have to go into
1: a whole communication thing about mm. what they are and what they mm. aren't
0: mm. and you actually don't need it it's unnecessary conversation i've
1: had so many meetings where people have ask, actually asked me why is it gray yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, no, so, so, but, yeah.
0: yeah yeah there's so many problems with the whole presenting wireframes mm. thing generally um so uh, yeah I'm, I'm reacting to that when i see
1: it um but what well, would said, be interesting in this meeting if you have 30 or 40 people Wow, what an opportunity to actually be talking about the yeah. business goals, the reason you're do- doing the design work. So, don't show anything from the solution. Show, show, uh, show your strategy. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I get mm. it, and I understand mm. that um, some organisations mm. have a much more complicated buying process than others. Mm. That, that much, I, you know, I accept and I'm with you on this point. But um, I'd probably alter this, this title, this, this bit to be. Um, Communicate the right things to the right people at the right time, mm-hmm. rather than gather the right stakeholders at the right time.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, so that's, that's I can constru- disagree with That's you. my
0: constructive contri- criticism to number two on this list. Nice. <laughs> number three,
1: be rapid with your feedback. Yeah. Well, this is hard, hard to argue with. I mean, yeah. You, the feedback turnaround needs to be pretty fast-paced because if it's not, then you're just waiting. And and she actually makes a good point here as well, Sarah, that when you stress people get stressed about giving feedback so they really they stay up late have had this as well stay up late to give you feedback and then when they have time a couple of days later to actually look through it in a proper way then you get the real feedback Mm. and that's too late because then you've started making changes based on the fast pace or the wrong feedback Uh, whatever uh, and here we're talking about wireframes again uh, um, Usually, yes. No, well, I think
0: mean, she she does in number three. You talk about the wireframes thing again. Oh, yeah, she does. Um, True. Um, so, so here we've got feedback on wireframes mm. to make more wireframes. But, um, but generally here, I think, in in my experience, you know, the most satisfying um, collaborations that I've been part of are the ones where you can do stuff in the room. Yeah. Um, so you're working tightly with maybe um, uh, an art director, um, uh, individual design people, mm. and all. you're working tightly with the programmers um, and the product mm. managers, people who really know how things work. Mm. And you can, you can sketch something on a whiteboard uh, or, an, or on a piece of paper in front of you, mm. and someone else during the meeting maybe goes in and alters something directly in the code or yeah. in using um, Google Developer Tools in Chrome or whatever and shows how it would be. Fantastic. I know. That's the best buy. You know, we I talked mean, about zero yeah. UI a minute ago. I mean, here we're talking zero wireframes. We've gone, we've gone straight to something which is more genuine, more real. Yeah. We, can discuss it, we can see. Zero impacts.
1: feedback loops because we're actually doing it within the same meeting. Yeah. So what we really need to be doing is scheduling the feedback meetings. Yeah. This is when we're doing it. This is your time to give the feedback. If you're not giving the feedback during this meeting, then too, too bad.
0: And also in those kind of design workshops, Things or, or or more interactive meetings, um, you can actually put some focus on making sure you 've got the right um, deliverable to communicate onwards so so what if you can come to an agreement in the room about something and well, well this works that doesn 't work well that i 'd like to test mm. on people that i 'd like to mm. um, share with the stakeholders that like you can make sure you 've got something which mm. which best represents what you want to communicate. Mm. In the room, rather than send out stuff for feedback, gather all this different, diverse feedback. Mm. Some of it maybe is not even on track with what mm. you were expecting as feedback mm. at that point, which makes it hard mm. to incorporate. Um, it might not tie. You might be out of scope or yep. out of sprint. Um, but but yeah, but being able to work in tight feedback loops in the in the same room, then you can really deliver something mm. which is going to take you to the next step.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It really makes me think about the demos I've worked with uh, when I work tightly with the uh, product owner w- in the client organization. And I present the demos the day before, the actual demo with lots of people, and you get feedback straight away with, you can't use that word because pe- people are going to yeah. think that. And you uh, make that shorter because people won't want to spend on time time on that because they want to get to that, p- that thing over there that they really care about. That makes me give a better demo and not confuse people. Yeah. And the only way to do that is not go into a cave and start popping out a PowerPoint that's going to impress everybody because not, that's never going to work. Yeah. You need feedback from the, uh, from the organization because you need to understand the organization. You can't do that without using someone from within the organization.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I remember now we use, use an icon mm. on one particular demonstration of something. Um, and we did a little mini session beforehand. And we changed the icon out because it turned out that like the icon was very similar to something that was used in an old product that no one liked. Ooh. so so we avoided a negative yeah. um f- discussion yeah. around that yeah because which i mean the, the icon itself was not really yeah. i mean what was on the icon was not important mm-hmm. we just kind of picked something but it happened yeah. to represent somebody yeah like people who relate to it and their the connotations and baggage yeah. Yeah. yeah so we avoided that
1: yeah extremely important all those tiny things mm. number four yeah don't rush toward a launch date uh and this is maybe what everybody's arguing about today, there's a launch date and you bring in the UX people too late. And, but this is looking at, at, at a, at a, in a very linear way as well. Bring in the UX people and then the developers come and you have to develop deliver something to the developers and the developers build something that's released on the launch date. And we don't work in that linear way anymore, the way I see it. We work agile, which means that we we've worked together with the team all along. And at some point, you're always going to have a launch date. The only way you'll know what to launch is if you know the business goals and you know how to get there and here's where I want to bring uh, uh, back, back uh, we, we talked last episode with Adrian Howard about story mapping the only way you're going to know if people are going to be able to accomplish their tasks is if you've mapped out the tasks you mapped out the whole journey that people are taking and then you know if you can bring, take stuff out from that journey to reach the launch date
0: uh, well, yeah I mean mm. even we're saying here yeah you're, you're right um, I'm saying we're not necessarily saying there's a deadline because I mean we'd like to carry, carry on keeping on doing stuff until we're, we've got it all perfectly right and so mm-hmm. on but there's always going to be a budget of some kind exactly So there's whether, whether yeah. the budget is time or the budget mm. is money or mm. it's all money time mm. um, then you're going to end up with a situation mm. where you can't do everything so some things have to be cut yes and, uh, and that's like uh, always th- the case yeah and story <laughs> mapping and prioritization mm. and and Chopping bits out, but without um, disturbing the integrity of your of your story, is it exactly right. Mm. I mean, Sarah, Sarah in this, um, she says um, uh, filmmakers do slash scenes just because they run out of time. Yes, they do. Um, they do. I mean, I've I've, I've I've got I used to have mm. a couple of. Sc- Scripts, books from, you know, back in the 90s when um, it was really popular to buy these mm. scripts or download mm. them from the internet back then. And yeah, there'd be all these deleted scenes and, mm. and, and stuff that didn't make it to films. Mm. And some we think, well, why did they drop that? I went mean, yeah. God, that's an excellent scene. Because the film would be too long. Yeah. And it couldn't be too long. And what they do, what the, the talented directors and, and filmmakers, they make sure they cut the bits that don't disturb the overall story. right That like you can still manage to travel from off. A to B without... M- missing stuff and the people the filmmakers that do badly mm. you know that because when you mm. watch it you think hold on this doesn't this doesn't work mm. anymore what happened to that what happens mm. to this and you can't do that in your product either you can't just chop out an important piece
1: excellent analogy I love that we should use that more often <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah we're all making films mm. and you're going to love this last one James number six no no we're not no, 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 number six five. sorry yeah. we're number, five. number five number five I love don't That's isolate. Okay. You love that one as well. Yeah. Don't <laughs> isolate your
0: developers, yeah. developers, your developers. Yeah. Um, collaboration mm. developers. Yeah. We've already talked about that a little bit earlier. That mm. you know, the best best collaboration I do, I've done is when you t- you're yeah. working with the people who are producing the end products. Yeah. Or the or other bits of the chain.
1: I need to be sitting with developers. Yeah, it's so much. nice. Yeah.
0: You learn so much, and you get so much done so qu- so much quickly mm. quickly, and you don't need to do thousands of
1: wireframes. Yes. There's actually no easy way to point out how important that is. Mm. <laughs> and how much money you can save as a mm-hmm. client or as a, a web owner. Number six. Now you've got your number six, yeah. There is no excuse for no data. Uh, Amen. Tying back to mm-hmm. the first article we discussed with analytics, yeah. you need to know your data. Yeah. And if you don't know your data, you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the effects of what you're doing. You can't draw any conclusions from it. And you don't know where to go from here.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah here says, um, you know, any data is better than no data. And she doesn't care about how clean the data is. Um, you can still gain some insights from that. And absolutely, it's true. It ties in what we said in the beginning, as you said. Yes. Um, that yes, you can have dirty data, broken data, but you've still got to be aware of the limitations mm. of your data or you'll make incorrect decisions. Mm. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to expand this point, though. Rather than saying there is no excuse for, for no data, I'd, I'd like to change this to there is no excuse um, for no research. Because I yeah. don't really see why we should limit this just to to the analytics side of things. Very true. Um, you know, we 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 as <laughs> we bang on an awful lot about you know, doing your research or, 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 or your background, and um, bang uh, if you did fifteen interviews, that would be just as valuable, if not more valuable, than yeah. maybe
1: Probably having, having the analytics data on the site. Maybe. Because I then you can, uh, you can understand intent with uh, like yeah. the qualitative interviews yeah. that, rather than with the quantitative data.
0: The, 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 but there's no mm-hmm. excuse for doing no research or having no data mm-hmm. input sources whatsoever. Yeah, You've got to have some, preferably multiple, and combine them and gain some insights to, know, to validate what you're doing. So all the links um, for this show um, can be found... Um, on our website uxpodcast.com you can also find an archive of all our previous shows there um you can find me as beantin on twitter which is b-e-a-n-t-i-n and um where can they find you i'm axbom which is a-x-b-o-m on yeah. twitter and um and together you can find us as UX Podcast, and that's all one word and on twitter and absolutely everywhere um please tell your friends how much you've enjoyed the show and thank you very much for listening remember to keep moving and see you on the other side